listening to Full Stack Ruby. Elevate your Ruby skills everywhere. Futuristic web dev that's fast and fun. This is episode 7, Ruby on Wasm. Is this the future? With your host, Jared White. Well, my friends, it is another episode of Full Stack Ruby, and it is the new year. So welcome, everybody. I hope you had a good time over the holidays and are ready to enjoy all the new goodies we have in the land of Ruby here in 2023, one of which we're going to talk about today. So as always, Christmas is a time of merriment and joy, and that's because there's a new release of Ruby. <laughs> All right, I'm sort of joking about that, but uh, yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun little bonus at the end of the year celebrating Christmas that we get a new release of Ruby, and in Ruby 3.2 we have something rather interesting, and that is Wasm, Ruby on Wasm. What does that even mean? What is Wasm? Well, Wasm is an abbreviation. It stands for WebAssembly. What is WebAssembly? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and say, (laughs) uh, I have not really known exactly what WebAssembly is. I mean, I knew wave hands generally in a vague sense what Wasm is, but uh, let me just read you what's actually at WebAssembly.org because they describe it here and provides a little bit more clarity. So WebAssembly, aka WASM, is a binary instruction format for a stack-based virtual machine. WASM is designed as a portable compilation target for programming languages, enabling deployment on the web for client and server applications. So, so Wasm isn't isn't a runtime per se. It's not a language. It's not, you know, it's like nobody writes WebAssembly, right? WebAssembly is a way to take existing runtimes, existing languages, and compile them to a format that can be executed safely on the web. So, the special instruction format, this virtual machine. Uh, allows you to execute code in a sandbox and using a certain baseline set of features and capabilities. Because when you execute this code, you're not executing code that's, you know, tuned to a particular instruction set or anything like that, right? There's no no M1 version of WebAssembly. There's no x86 version of WebAssembly. You know, you're 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 using the same instruction format and executing it on any number of platforms, server platforms as well as client platforms, aka the web browser. So, again, a little bit hand wavy here because uh, compilers and uh, virtual machines is not an area I have a ton of expertise in. But um, basically, the idea is. Uh, you can compile applications to WebAssembly, and then your browser, if if you're trying to run it on the browser, your browser can download this special format and execute it, and um, you get new capabilities, aka you're not just running JavaScript, you're running, could be anything, <laughs> could be Rust, in this case, it's Ruby, Um 
So that's pretty cool uh, that we have now a first party deployment of Ruby to WebAssembly. Uh, now, what can you do with Ruby on Wasm? What what does this allow us to do? Uh, that's been a little unclear, but I think we're starting to see some examples of what you can do. And the most exciting thing I've seen is by H. Parker, a.k.a. Adam Hess. Uh, he put together the venerable to-do list sort of demo using Ruby Wasm. And it's pretty cool. Uh, you can check out that link in the show notes and see that demo. And I'll just walk through a little bit of what's going on here. <laughs> I know it's always quite a challenge to describe code in a podcast, but I'll do my best. Um, so essentially what Adam is doing is he has a script tag that uh, first downloads this file called browser.umd.js. Uh, and that's provided by the Ruby Wasm project. And that sort of sets up a sort of bootstrapping uh, set of, of requirements and a, and a way to execute Ruby inside of a VM. Uh, so you need that before you can do anything else. And then there's another line of JavaScript in a script tag to fetch the actual Ruby Wasm file. So this is literally Ruby plus stdlib.wasm, and this is basically a sort of a distribution of Ruby with some of the standard library compiled in with it. Uh, so, so once that Wasm file gets downloaded, then it's, there's a few more lines of code to uh, basically grab the array buffer of that Wasm file that got fetched. Uh, it gets compiled by WebAssembly, and that's literally WebAssembly.compile. <laughs> so that's just something that's provided by the browser. That's that's a native browser feature to be able to just call WebAssembly.compile and compile that buffer. And then it uses that compiled module to set up the Ruby VM and get a VM variable. And once you have the VM variable, you can then execute Ruby code in the browser. Not some kind of fake approximation of Ruby syntax or anything like that. This is actual Ruby, the real deal, running in the browser. <laughs> uh, so that is pretty awesome. Um, and then, of course, the, the demo itself is showing how uh, not only can you run Ruby, but you can uh, require, uh, I guess you'd call it a gem, uh, you'd require JS, that's what's called JS. And then once you have that required in your Ruby code, you have access to uh, a bunch of JavaScript APIs. You can get at the HTML document. You can create elements. You can set things like inner text. You can append child elements to parent elements. You can even set up event listeners. You can handle a mouse click. <laughs> you can inspect the event that the mouse... Uh, click produces, and you can do things based on that event getting triggered. I um, actually set up a little bit of a, of a nice syntactical sugar thing here where, um, and I've talked about this before, like in like how the Ruby2JS project, you know, kind of sets up certain things in a nice Ruby-like way. So for example, the, the JavaScript set timeout 
you know, like because of how JavaScript syntax works there, uh, you essentially have, you know, a function as the first argument, and that's the code that needs to run when that timer is reached. Uh, and then the second argument is the actual number of milliseconds. But if you're designing a Ruby API, you would, of course, have set timeout with the milliseconds being the first argument, and then you'd have a block. You'd have a do end block to put code in, you know, after that initial milliseconds argument. So uh, because of the the JS bridge here between Ruby and JavaScript, um, you know, it has that requirement to like pr- provide a lambda essentially as the first argument and the milliseconds as the second argument. But I just created a simple Ruby wrapper that um, you can pass in milliseconds and a block, and then it you know calls out to the bridge and does what it needs to do. So you can write more idiomatic Ruby-like code for set timeout, uh, and it just works. It really just works. A few lines of code and. <laughs> <laughs> and you're doing stuff here that just kind of feels magical. So that's really cool. And um, I should even mention, like, the reason I was able to do this so easily is because not only does this to-do list demo, you know, show you what's possible with Ruby Wasm, but it includes a code editor on the page so you can actually edit the example and rerun it and, you know, see what happens. So you can change things, you can mess around. It's really just like a playground to see what you can do with Ruby Wasm. So I encourage all of you, every single one of you, <laughs> to go to the example uh, and you know see the to-do list in action, but even more importantly, start messing around the code in there and kicking the tires and seeing what's possible. It's a lot of fun. All right, so that's that's the upside to all this. What's the downside? Clearly, clearly there must be some penalty to this idea that you can just download Ruby and then run Ruby code. (laughs) And yeah, so first of all, that first file I mentioned, browser.umd.js, the the compressed download size is 61K, uh, uncompressed it's 230K. So, you know, it's not too bad, but it's not super great either. Um, You know, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a heft there. Um, but the real deal here is the WASM file itself, and that is massive. <laughs> uh, compressed download is a little over 8 megabytes. Yes, megabytes. Uh, 8 megabytes uh, uncompressed. It's like almost 27 megabytes. So, yeah, it's a lot to download, and it takes a little bit of time. You know, like when you first go this to-do list, depending on your connection, you know, it, it may be like a second or two of seeing loading, and then things happen. So it's not instantaneous. Uh, so, you know, basically, like, nobody's going to suddenly, like, flush all their JavaScript down the toilet and rewrite their whole front end in Ruby Wasm and do that right now. (laughs) Uh, So my big question, of course, is, you know, are there ways to trim this down? And how much would you have to trim it down before it becomes viable? And I think that's going to depend a bit on the sorts of projects someone might use Ruby Wasm for. Um, You know, for certain types of applications where there's an acceptable delay to start the application, you know, maybe a couple megabytes is fine. Maybe even three or four megabytes is fine. It's hard to say that eight megabytes is ever really justifiable for a web app, but, you know, I don't know. I, 
I forget what Figma is, but uh, Figma uh, uses a bunch of Wasm stuff. And I think I checked that out a while back and was like, oh, yeah, there's like <laughs> a few megabytes of download here for the Wasm stuff. Um, but, you know, lots of people use Figma and Figma is very powerful. So it's worth it, right? Like people people pay that penalty to have a little bit of a startup time and a little bit of a wait to download in order to get this, you know, rich application functionality. So, yeah, again, like I think there are certain kinds of applications that are, you know, where it would be acceptable to to have this heft, but many more applications, many more just sort of websites in general, you know, content-focused websites where, uh, you know, performance, speed, uh, time to paint, all of those sorts of core web vitals are, are really, really important, you know, not not like just kind of ideal or anything, but like really important. Uh, and that's why like, you know, it's even hard for me to sort of blanket recommend something like Opal, which is essentially a a Ruby-ish runtime implemented purely in JavaScript uh, because, uh, you know, depending on what you're doing with Opal, that can can add some heft to your front end, which you might not otherwise need. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, clearly we're not at any point right now where we can just sort of, like, go shout from the rooftops that, hey, Ruby has arrived in the browser. We can write Ruby front ends. Isn't this amazing? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, not only is there this issue of the, the file size downloads, but uh, the things you can do with the JavaScript bridge is, you know, very whiz bang and cool. Don't get me wrong. But there, you know, there are a lot of edge cases that you run into almost right away. Like a big thing for me, of course, is so much of what I do in sort of a day-to-day thing with uh, the kind of JavaScript I write for the front end is to uh, create classes, like, you know, subclassing HTML element, creating a web component, and and kind of interacting with other JavaScript libraries and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's this whole ecosystem. Uh, and you can't necessarily just, like, drop Ruby Wasm into all of that stuff, right? <laughs> So, um, in fact, you know, at the, to the best of my knowledge, like there's no way to create like a Ruby subclass of a JavaScript class. So there's no way to subclass HTML element and create a web component where the code you write for the web component is Ruby. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you'd probably have to do something where you write the web component itself mostly in JavaScript and then have sort of glue code written in Ruby to, you know, utilize the features of that JavaScript web component. At which point the question is like, well, (laughs) should you just write everything now in JavaScript? Like, you know, what's the point? So it's going to take a while to kind of, kind of find out what's possible in this new world. But, you know, even though it's like Ruby 3.2, now I have Wasm, like the, the Wasm version of Ruby is probably like, you know, 0.1, right? <laughs> like, like we're just starting with this. So it's interesting now and it's cool and you should try it out. But, you know, a few years down the line, I think we can feel pretty confident in saying like, there will be plenty of opportunities to write Ruby that runs in the browser and is part of the front end of a web application. And that's pretty awesome. 
Now, there's one other thing that I'm excited about when we think about Ruby on Wasm is uh, increasingly we're seeing examples of people using Wasm in server environments and even more particularly serverless sort of execution contexts, right? So like this idea of having serverless functions, uh, you know, scale to zero, like essentially like nothing runs unless it needs to, there's a request and like, okay, now we run some code, right? And you want that code to, to spin up as quickly as possible. So, um, you know, so people use uh, like runtimes like Dino or Cloudflare workers and things like that, where, um, you know, you can sort of spin up a VM and execute some code really fast and then spin it down. And I think Wasm is going to be a pretty exciting technology here in general uh, going forward where, you know, essentially any language that can compile down to Wasm can be deployed in uh, serverless cloud computing platforms. And the idea that Ruby can play in this new world is pretty cool. And there's actually... There are other languages, of course, that compile to Wasm. Like, <laughs> Ruby is by no means, quote-unquote, one of the very first. Uh, but it is kind of ahead of the curve in some sense. Like, there's lots of languages out there that don't compile to Wasm easily, or at all, perhaps. And Ruby is now playing in this game. So, you know, I think this idea of writing, um, you know, code... On the, on the server side that uh, runs inside of these serverless contexts and is using Wasm as sort of a, a substrate underlying everything. Um, you know, Ruby has the potential here to play with the big boys, so to speak. Uh, and I think that's pretty exciting as well. So I'm spitballing a bunch here because, you know, I don't immediately have examples to point you all to of like... People are doing this in production right now. Go use it. Uh, Again, like we're sort of at like 0.1 of all of this stuff. So perhaps you, dear listener, will be the one to to create the killer app that gets everyone talking. The next rails, if you will, to to showcase what you can do with Ruby Wasm. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Full Stack Ruby. And I promise you, it'll be much less time between now and the next episode. We will not have such a long pause like we did uh, late last year. So thanks again for being a listener. Please tell all your Ruby friends to check out Full Stack Ruby. Of course, you can always get to our website at fullstackruby.dev. And until next time, bye-bye.